Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and the Secret Adversary, Chapters 9 and 10, by Agatha Christie. And now, Chapter 9, Tuppence Becomes a Housekeeper. When Tommy set forth on the trail of the two men, it took all Tuppence's self-command to refrain from accompanying him. However, she contained herself as best she might, consoled by the reflection that her reasoning had been justified by events. The two men had undoubtedly come from the second-floor flat, and that one slender thread of the name Rita had set the young adventurers once more upon the track of the abductors of Jane Finn. The question was, what to do next? Tuppence hated letting the grass grow under her feet. Tommy was amply employed, and debarred from joining him in the chase, the girl felt at a loose end. She retraced her steps to the entrance hall of the mansions. It was now tenanted by a small lift boy who was polishing brass fittings and whistling the latest air with a good deal of vigor and a reasonable amount of accuracy. He glanced round at Tuppence's entry. There was a certain amount of the game and element in the girl. At all events, she invariably got on well with small boys. A sympathetic bond seemed instantly to be formed. She reflected that an ally in the enemy's camp, so to speak, was not to be despised. "'Well, William?' she remarked cheerfully, in the best-approved hospital early-morning style. "'Getting a good shine-up?' The boy grinned responsively. "'Albert, miss,' he corrected. "'Albert be it,' said Tuppence. She glanced mysteriously round the hall. The effect was purposely a broad one in case Albert should miss it. She leaned towards the boy and dropped her voice. "'I want a word with you, Albert.' Albert ceased operations on the fittings and opened his mouth slightly. "'Look, do you know what this is?' With a dramatic gesture, she flung back the left side of her coat and exposed a small enameled badge. It was extremely unlikely that Albert would have any knowledge of it. Indeed, it would have been fatal for Tuppence's plans, since the badge in question was the device of a local training corps originated by the Archdeacon in the early days of the war. Its presence in Tuppence's coat was due to the fact that she had used it for pinning in some flowers a day or two before. But Tuppence had sharp eyes— and had noted the corner of a threepenny detective novel protruding from Albert's pocket, and the immediate enlargement of his eyes told her that her tactics were good, and that the fish would rise to the bait. "'American detective force!' she hissed. Albert fell for it. "'Lord!' he murmured ecstatically. Tuppence nodded at him with the air of one who has established a thorough understanding. "'Know who I'm after?' she inquired genially. Albert, still round-eyed, demanded breathlessly, "'One of the flats?' Tuppence nodded and jerked a thumb up the stairs. "'Number twenty. Calls herself Vandermeyer. Vandermeyer. Ha!' Albert's hand stole to his pocket. "'A crook?' he queried eagerly. "'A crook? I should say so. Reddy Rita, they call her in the States.' "'Reddy Rita,' repeated Albert deliriously. "'Oh, ain't it just like the pictures?' "'It was.' Tuppence was a great frequenter of the cinema. "'Annie always said as how she was a bad lot,' continued the boy. "'Who's Annie?' inquired Tuppence idly. "'A house parlor maid. She's leaving today. Many's the time Annie said to me, "'Mark my words, Albert. I wouldn't wonder if the police was to come after her one of these days. Just like that. But she's a stunner to look at, ain't she?' "'She's some peach,' allowed Tuppence carelessly. "'Finds it useful in her layout, you bet.' "'Has she been wearing any of the new emeralds, by the way?' "'Emeralds? Them's the green stones, ain't they?' Tuppence nodded. "'That's what we're after her for. You know old man Rysdale?' 
Albert shook his head. Peter B. Risedale, the oil king? Ah, it sounds kind of familiar to me, he said. The sparklers belong to him. Finest collection of emeralds in the world. Worth a million dollars. Wow, came ecstatically from Albert. It sounds more like the pictures every minute. Tuppen smiled, gratified at the success of her efforts. We haven't exactly proved it yet, but we're after her. And, she produced a long, drawn-out wink, I guess she won't get away with the goods this time. Albert uttered another ejaculation, indicative of delight. Mind you, Sonny, not a word of this, said Tuppence suddenly. I guess I oughtn't to have put you wise, but in the States we know a real smart lad when we see one. I won't breathe a word, protested Albert eagerly. Ain't there anything I could do? A bit of shadowing, maybe, or such like? Tuppence affected to consider, then shook her head. Mm, not at the moment, but I'll bear you in mind, son. What's this about the girl you say is leaving? Annie? Regular turn-up, they said. As Annie said, servants is someone nowadays, and to be treated accordingly. And what with her passing the word round, she won't find it so easy to get another. Won't she? said Tuppence thoughtfully. I wonder. An idea was dawning in her brain. She thought a minute or two, and then tapped Albert on the shoulder. See here, son, my brain's got busy. How would it be if you mentioned that you'd got a young cousin, or a friend of yours had, that might suit the place? You get me? I'm there, said Albert, instantly. You leave it to me, miss, and I'll fix the whole thing up in two ticks. Some lad, commented Tuppence, with a nod of approval. You might say that the young woman could come in right away. You let me know, and if it's okay, I'll be around tomorrow at eleven o'clock. Where am I to let you know to? Ritz, replied Tuppence laconically. Name of Cowley. Albert eyed her enviously. It must be a good job, this tech business. Oh, it sure is, drawled Tuppence, especially when old man Risedale backs the bill. But don't fret, son. If this goes well, you shall come in on the ground floor. With which promise she took leave of her new ally and walked briskly away from South Audley Mansions, well pleased with her morning's work. But there was no time to be lost. She went straight back to the Ritz and wrote a few brief words to Mr. Carter. Having dispatched this, and Tommy not having yet returned, which did not surprise her, she started off on a shopping expedition which, with an interval for tea and assorted creamy cakes, occupied her until well after six o'clock, and she returned to the hotel jaded but satisfied with her purchases. Starting with a cheap clothing store and passing through one or two second-hand establishments, she had finished the day at a well-known hairdresser's. Now, in the seclusion of her bedroom, she unwrapped that final purchase. Five minutes later, she smiled contentedly at her reflection in the glass. With an actress's pencil, she had slightly altered the line of her eyebrows, and that, taken in conjunction with the new luxuriant growth of fair hair above, so changed her appearance that she felt confident that even as she came face to face with Whittington, he would not recognize her. She would wear elevators in her shoes, and the cap and apron would be an even more valuable disguise. From hospital experience, she knew only too well that a nurse out of uniform is frequently unrecognized by her patients. Yes, said Tuppence aloud, nodding at the pert reflection in the glass. You'll do. She then resumed her normal appearance. Dinner was a solitary meal. Tuppence was rather surprised at Tommy's non-return. Julius, too, was absent, 
but that to the girl's mind was more easily explained. His hustling activities were not confined to London, and his abrupt appearances and disappearances were fully accepted by the young adventurers as part of the day's work. It was quite on the cards that Julius P. Hersheimer had left for Constantinople at a moment's notice, if he fancied that a clue to his cousin's disappearance was to be found there. The energetic young man had succeeded in making the lives of several Scotland Yard men unbearable to them, and the telephone girls at the Admiralty had learned to know and dread the familiar hello, and had spent three hours in Paris hustling the prefecture, and had returned from there imbued with the idea, possibly inspired by a weary French official, that the true clue to the mystery was to be found in Ireland. "'I dare say he's dashed off there now,' thought Tuppence. "'All very well, but this is very dull for me. Here I am bursting with news, and absolutely no one to tell it to. Tommy might have wired or something. I wonder where he is. Anyway, he can't have lost the trail, as they say. That reminds me.' And Miss Cowley broke off in her meditations and summoned a small boy. Ten minutes later the lady was ensconced comfortably on her bed, smoking cigarettes, and deep in the perusal of Garnaby Williams' The Boy Detective, which, with other three-penny works of lurid fiction, she had set out to purchase. She felt, and rightly, that before the strain of attempting further intercourse with Albert, it would be as well to fortify herself with a good supply of local color. The morning brought a note from Mr. Carter. "'Dear Miss Tuppence, you have made a splendid start, and I congratulate you.' I feel, though, that I should like to point out to you once more the risks you are running, especially if you pursue the course you indicate. Those people are absolutely desperate and incapable of either mercy or pity. I feel that you probably underestimate the danger, and therefore warn you again that I can promise you no protection. You have given us valuable information, and if you choose to withdraw now, no one could blame you. At any rate, think the matter over well before you decide." If, in spite of my warnings, you make up your mind to go through with it, you will find everything arranged. You have lived for two years with Miss Dufferin, the parsonage, Lanley, and Mrs. Vandemeyer can apply to her for reference. May I be permitted a word or two of advice? Stick as near to the truth as possible. It minimizes the danger of slips. I suggest that you represent yourself to be what you are, a former V.A.D. who has chosen domestic service as a profession. There are many such at the present time. That explains away any incongruities of voice or manner which otherwise might awaken suspicion. Whichever way you decide, good luck to you. Your sincere friend, Mr. Carter. Tuppence's spirits rose mercurially. Mr. Carter's warnings passed unheeded. The young lady had far too much confidence in herself to pay any heed to them. With some reluctance, she abandoned the interesting part she had sketched out for herself. Although she had no doubts of her own powers to sustain a role indefinitely, she had too much common sense not to recognize the force of Mr. Carter's arguments. There was still no word or message from Tommy, but the morning post brought a somewhat dirty postcard with the words, "'It's okay,' scrawled upon it. At ten-thirty, Tuppence surveyed with pride a slightly battered tin trunk containing her new possessions. It was artistically corded. It was with a slight blush that she rang the bell and ordered it to be placed in a taxi. She drove to Paddington and left the box in the cloakroom. She then repaired with a handbag to the fastnesses of the ladies' waiting room. Ten minutes later, a metamorphosed tuppence walked demurely out of the station and entered a bus. 
It was a few minutes past eleven when Tuppence again entered the hall of South Audley Mansions. Albert was on the lookout, attending to his duties in a somewhat desultory fashion. He did not immediately recognize Tuppence. When he did, his admiration was unbounded. "'Blessed if I'd have known you. That rig-out's top hole.' "'Glad you like it, Albert,' replied Tuppence modestly. "'By the way, am I your cousin, or am I not?' "'Your voice, too!' cried the delighted boy. "'It's as English as anything. "'Now, I said a friend of mine knew a young gal. "'Annie wasn't best pleased. "'She stopped on till today to oblige,' she said. "'But really it's so as to put you against the place.' "'Nice girl,' said Tuppence. "'Albert suspected no irony. "'She's style about her, and keeps your silver a treat. "'But my word, ain't she got a temper. "'Are you going up now, miss? "'Step inside the lift. "'Number twenty, did you say?' "'And he winked. "'Tuppence quelled him with a stern glance, "'and stepped inside. "'As she rang the bell at number twenty, "'she was conscious of Albert's eyes "'slowly descending beneath the level of the floor. "'A smart young woman opened the door. "'I've come about the place.' "'said Tuppence. "'It's a rotten place,' said the young woman, without hesitation. "'Regular old cat, always interfering. "'Accused me of tampering with her letters. "'Me! "'The flap was half done anyway. "'There's never anything in the waste-paper basket. "'She burns everything. "'She's a wrong un. "'That's what she is. "'Swell clothes, but no class. "'Cook knows something about her, but she won't tell. "'Scared to death of her. "'And suspicious.' "'She's on to you in a minute if you so much as speak to a fellow. "'I can tell you.' "'But what more Annie could tell, Tuppence was never destined to learn, "'for at that moment a clear voice with a peculiarly steely ring to it called, "'Annie!' "'The smart woman jumped as if she'd been shot. "'Yes, ma'am. Who are you talking to?' "'It's a young woman about the situation, ma'am. "'Show her in, then, at once.' "'Yes, ma'am.' Tuppence was ushered into a room on the right of the long passage. A woman was standing by the fireplace. She was no longer in her first youth, and the beauty she undeniably possessed was hardened and coarsened. In her youth she must have been dazzling. Her pale gold hair, owing a slight assistance to art, was coiled low on her neck. Her eyes, of a piercing electric blue, seemed to possess a faculty of boring into the very soul of the person she was looking at. Her exquisite figure was enhanced by a wonderful gown of indigo charmeuse. And yet, despite her swaying grace and the almost ethereal beauty of her face, you felt instinctively the presence of something hard and menacing, a kind of metallic strength that found expression in the tones of her voice and in that gimlet-like quality of her eyes. For the first time, Tuppence felt afraid. She had not feared Whittington, but this woman was different. As if fascinated, she watched the long, cruel line of the red curving mouth, and again she felt that sensation of panic pass over her. Her usual self-confidence deserted her. Vaguely she felt that deceiving this woman would be very different to deceiving Whittington. Mr. Carter's warning recurred to her mind now. Here, indeed, she might expect no mercy. Fighting down that instinct of panic which urged her to turn tail and run without further delay, Tuppence returned the lady's gaze firmly and respectfully. As though that first scrutiny had been satisfactory, Mrs. Vandermeyer motioned to a chair. "'You can sit down. How did you hear I wanted a house parlor-maid?' "'Through a friend who knows the lift boy here. He thought the place might suit me.' Again that basilisk glance seemed to pierce her through. 
"'You speak like an educated girl.' "'Glibly enough, Tuppence ran through her imaginary career "'on the line suggested by Mr. Carter. "'It seemed to her, as she did so, "'that the tension of Mrs. Vandermeyer's attitude relaxed. "'I see,' she remarked at length. "'Is there anyone I can write to for a reference?' "'I lived last with a Miss Dufferin, the parsonage, Linnelli. "'I was with her two years.' "'And then you thought you'd get more money by coming to London, I suppose? "'Well, it doesn't matter to me. "'I'll give you between fifty and sixty pounds, whatever you want. "'You can come at once?' "'Yes, ma'am. Today, if you like. My box is at Paddington.' "'Go and fetch it in a taxi, then. It's an easy place. "'I am out a good deal. By the way, what's your name?' "'Prudence Cooper, ma'am.' "'Very well, Prudence. Go away and fetch your box. I shall be out to lunch.' "'The cook will show you where everything is.' "'Thank you, ma'am.' Tuppence withdrew. "'The smart Annie was not in evidence. "'In the hall below, a magnificent hall porter "'had relegated Albert to the background. "'Tuppence did not even glance at him "'as she passed meekly out. "'The adventure had begun, "'but she felt less elated "'than she had done earlier in the morning. "'It crossed her mind that if the unknown Jane Finn "'had fallen into the hands of Mrs. Vandermeyer, "'it was likely to have gone hard with her.' We'll return with Chapter 10, right after these sponsor messages. And now Chapter 10 of The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. Enter Sir James Peel Edgerton. Tumpets betrayed no awkwardness in her new duties. The daughters of the Archdeacon were well grounded in household tasks. They were also experts in training a raw girl, the inevitable result being that the raw girl... "'once trained, departed elsewhere "'where her newly acquired knowledge "'commanded a more substantial remuneration "'than the archdeacon's meagre purse allowed. "'Tuppence had therefore very little fear "'of proving inefficient. "'Mrs. Vandermeyer's cook puzzled her. "'She evidently went in deathly terror of her mistress. "'The girl thought it probable "'that the other woman had some hold over her. "'For the rest, she cooked like a chef, "'as Tuppence had an opportunity of judging that evening.' Mrs. Vandermeyer was expecting a guest to dinner, and Tuppence accordingly laid the beautifully polished table for two. She was a little exercised in her own mind as to this visitor. It was highly possible that it might prove to be Whittington. Although she felt fairly confident that he would not recognize her, yet she would have been better pleased had the guest proved to be a total stranger. However, there was nothing for it but to hope for the best. At a few minutes past eight the front doorbell rang, and Tuppence went to answer it with some inward trepidation. She was relieved to see that the visitor was the second of the two men whom Tommy had taken upon himself to follow. He gave his name as Count Stepanov. Tuppence announced him, and Mrs. Vandermeyer rose from her seat on a low divan with a quick murmur of pleasure. "'It's delightful to see you, Boris Ivanovitch,' she said. "'And you, madame.' He bowed low over her hand. Tuppence returned to the kitchen." "'Count Stepanov or some such,' she remarked, "'and affecting a frank and unvarnished curiosity. "'Who's he?' "'A Russian gentleman, I believe. "'Come here much? "'Once in a while. "'What do you want to know for?' "'I fancied he might be sweet on the missus, that's all,' "'explained Tuppets, adding, with an appearance of sulkiness, "'How do you take one up?' "'I'm not quite easy in my mind about the souple,' "'explained the other. "'You know something.' "'thought Tuppence to herself, but aloud she only said, "'Going to dish up now? Right-o!' "'Whilst waiting at table, Tuppence listened closely to all that was said. 
She remembered that this was one of the men Tommy was shadowing when she had last seen him. Already, although she would hardly admit it, she was becoming uneasy about her partner. Where was Tommy? Why had no word of any kind come from him? She had arranged before leaving the Ritz to have all letters or messages sent on at once by special messenger to a small stationer's shop near at hand, where Albert was to call in frequently. True, it was only yesterday morning that she had parted from Tommy, and she told herself that any anxiety on his behalf would be absurd. Still, it was strange that he had sent no word of any kind. But, listen as she might, the conversation presented no clue. Boris and Mrs. Vandemeyer talked on purely indifferent subjects. Plays they had seen, new dances, and the latest society gossip. After dinner, they repaired to the small boudoir where Mrs. Vandemeyer, stretched on the divan, looked more wickedly beautiful than ever. Tuppence brought in the coffee and liqueurs, and unwillingly retired. As she did so, she heard Boris say, "'New, isn't she?' "'She came in today. The other was a fiend. This girl seems all right. She waits well.' Tuppence lingered a moment longer by the door, which she had carefully neglected to close, and heard him say, "'Quite safe, I suppose?' "'Really, Boris, you're absurdly suspicious.' "'I believe she's the cousin of the hall porter, or something of the kind, "'and nobody even dreams that I have any connection with our mutual friend, Mr. Brown. "'For God's sake, be careful, Rita. That door isn't shut.' "'Well, shut it, then,' laughed the woman. "'Tuppence removed herself speedily. "'She dared not absent herself longer from the back premises, "'but she cleared away and washed up with a breathless speed acquired in the hospital. "'Then she slipped quietly back to the boudoir door. "'The cook, more leisurely, was still busy in the kitchen, and, if she missed the other, would only suppose her to be turning down the beds. Alas, the conversation inside was being carried on in too low a tone to permit her hearing anything of it. She dared not reopen the door, however gently. Mrs. Vandemeyer was sitting almost facing it, and Tuppence respected her mistress's lynx-eyed powers of observation. Nevertheless, she felt she would give a good deal to overhear what was going on. Possibly, if anything unforeseen had happened, she might get news of Tommy. For some moments she reflected desperately, then her face brightened. She went quickly along the passage to Mrs. Vandemeyer's bedroom, which had long French windows leading onto a balcony that ran the length of the flat. Slipping quickly through the window, Tuppence crept noiselessly along until she reached the boudoir window. As she had thought, it stood a little ajar, and the voices within were plainly audible. Tuppence listened attentively, but there was no mention of anything that could be twisted to apply to Tommy. Mrs. Vandemeyer and the Russian seemed to be at variance over some matter, and finally the latter exclaimed bitterly, "'With your persistent recklessness, you'll end by ruining us.' "'Bah!' laughed the woman. "'Notoriety of the right kind is the best way of disarming suspicion. "'You will realize that one of these days, perhaps sooner than you think. "'In the meantime, you're going about everywhere with Peel Edgerton,' Not only is he, perhaps, the most celebrated K.C. in England, but his special hobby is criminology. It's madness. I know that his eloquence has saved untold men from the gallows, said Mrs. Vandemeyer calmly. What of it? I may need his assistance in that line myself some day. If so, how fortunate to have such a friend at court, or perhaps it would be more to the point to say, in court. Boris got up and began striding up and down. He was very excited. "'You are a clever woman, Rita, but you're also a fool. "'Be guided by me, and give up Peel Edgerton.' 
Mrs. Vandemeyer shook her head gently. "'I think not.' "'You refuse?' "'There was an ugly ring in the Russian's voice. "'I do.' "'Then by heaven!' snarled the Russian. "'We will see.' "'But Mrs. Vandemeyer also rose to her feet, her eyes flashing. "'You forget, Boris,' she said. "'I am accountable to no one. "'I take my orders only from Mr. Brown.' "'The other threw up his hands in despair. "'You are impossible,' he muttered. "'Impossible!' "'Already it may be too late. "'They say Peel Edgerton can smell a criminal. "'How do we know what is at the bottom "'of his sudden interest in you? "'Perhaps even now his suspicions are aroused. "'He guesses—' "'Mrs. Vandemeyer eyed him scornfully. "'Reassure yourself, my dear Boris. "'He suspects nothing. "'With less than your usual chivalry, "'you seem to forget that I am commonly "'accounted a beautiful woman. "'I assure you that is all that interests Peel Edgerton.' Boris shook his head doubtfully. He has studied crime as no other man in this kingdom has studied it. Do you fancy that you can deceive him? Mrs. Vandemeyer's eyes narrowed. If he is all that you say, it would amuse me to try. Good heavens, Rita! Besides, added Mrs. Vandemeyer, he is extremely rich. I am not one who despises money. The sinews of war, you know, Boris? Money! "'That's always the danger with you, Rita. "'I believe you would sell your soul for money. "'I believe—' "'He paused. "'Then in a low, sinister voice he said slowly, "'Sometimes I believe that you would sell us.' "'Mrs. Vandemeyer smiled and shrugged her shoulders. "'The price, at any rate, would have to be enormous,' "'she said lightly. "'It would be beyond the power of anyone but a millionaire to pay.' "'Ah!' snarled the Russian. "'You see?' "'I was right. "'My dear Boris, can you not take a joke?' "'Was it a joke?' "'Of course. "'Then all I can say is that your ideas of humor are peculiar, my dear Rita.' "'Mrs. Vandemeyer smiled. "'Let us not quarrel, Boris. "'Touch the bell. "'We will have some drinks.' "'Tuppence beat a hasty retreat. "'She paused a moment to survey herself in Mrs. Vandemeyer's long glass "'and be sure that nothing was amiss with her appearance.' Then she answered the bell demurely. The conversation that she had overheard, although interesting in that it proved beyond a doubt the complicity of both Rita and Boris, threw very little light on the present preoccupations. The name of Jane Finn had not even been mentioned. The following morning a few brief words with Albert informed her that nothing was waiting for her at the stationer's. It seemed incredible that Tommy, if all were well with him, should not send any word to her. A cold hand seemed to close round her heart. Supposing. She choked her fears down bravely. It was no good worrying, but she leapt at a chance offered her by Mrs. Vandemeyer. What day do you usually go out, Prudence? Friday's my usual day, ma'am. But Mrs. Vandemeyer lifted her eyebrows. Ah, and today is Friday, but I suppose you hardly wish to go out today, as you only came yesterday. I was thinking of asking you if I might, ma'am. Mrs. Vandemeyer looked at her a minute longer and then smiled. "'I wish Count Stepanov could hear you. He made a suggestion about you last night.' Her smile broadened, cat-like. "'Your request is very typical. I am satisfied. You do not understand all this, but you can go out today. It makes no difference to me, as I shall not be dining at home.' "'Thank you, ma'am.' 
Tuppence felt a sensation of relief once she was out of the other's presence. Once again she admitted to herself that she was afraid, horribly afraid, of the beautiful woman with the cruel eyes. In the midst of a final desultory polishing of her silver, Tuppence was disturbed by the ringing of the front door bell and went to answer it. This time the visitor was neither Whittington nor Boris, but a man of striking appearance. Just a shade over average height, he nevertheless conveyed the impression of a big man. His face, clean-shaven and exquisitely mobile, was stamped with an expression of power and force far beyond the ordinary. Magnetism seemed to radiate from him. Tuppence was undecided for the moment whether to put him down as an actor or a lawyer, but her doubts were soon solved as he gave her his name, Sir James Peel Edgerton. She looked at him with renewed interest. This, then, was the famous K.C., whose name was familiar all over England. She had heard it said that he might one day be Prime Minister. He was known to have refused office in the interests of his profession, preferring to remain a simple member for a Scotch constituency. Tuppence went back to her pantry thoughtfully. The great man had impressed her. She understood Boris's agitation. Peel Edgerton would not be an easy man to deceive. In about a quarter of an hour the bell rang, and Tuppence repaired to the hall to show the visitor out. He had given her a piercing glance before. Now, as she handed him his hat and stick, she was conscious of his eyes raking her through. As she opened the door and stood aside to let him pass out, he stopped in the doorway. "'Not been doing this long, eh?' Tuppence raised her eyes, astonished. She read in his glance kindliness, and something else more difficult to fathom. He nodded as though she had answered. "'V.A.D. and hard up, I suppose. "'Did Mrs. Vandemeyer tell you that?' asked Tuppence suspiciously. "'No, child. The look of you told me. "'Good place here?' Thank, "'Very good. Thank you, sir.' "'Ah, but there are plenty of good places nowadays, "'and a change does no harm sometimes.' "'Do you mean?' began Tuppence. "'But Sir James was already on the topmost stair. "'He looked back with his kindly, shrewd glance. "'Just a hint,' he said. "'That's all.' "'Tuppence went back to the pantry, more thoughtful than ever. "'Join us next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time "'for chapters 11 and 12 of The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie.' We do appreciate reviews. If you're enjoying The Secret Adversary, or if you enjoy 1001 Stories for the Road, please just send us a kind review. We appreciate it, and it helps new listeners find us. Until next Sunday night, everyone, this is your host, John Hagedorn, saying stay safe, and we'll be back soon.